once the child maintenance trust is set up and the initial assets are being contributed, if the parents come along five years later and want to contribute additional assets to that trust, they're, they're probably out of luck. It's almost frozen in time when the trust gets established and the initial contribution gets made. That's all that can be contributed moving forwards. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 388 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to DocuSign for sponsoring this episode. Last week, we focused on section 102 AG and AE. Today, let's go through taxation ruling 98-4, the tax ruling about accepted income in child maintenance trusts. In paragraph 10 of TR 98-4, the ATO covers five situations where the ATO will not accept the CMT income as accepted. Let's cover three of these situations today. With child maintenance trusts, is it basically just tax ruling 98-4 or are there a lot of other tax rulings that are specifically focused at child maintenance trust or is this TR 98-4 the only one that is focused on child maintenance trust? Yeah, 98-4 is really the, the dominant one. That's the one that sort of is designed to cover the field and address basically anything that can arise. There's a couple of other sort of incidental ones that just look at discrete issues, but they tend to be more in the context of a, a different part of the tax act they're looking at, which just happens to apply to child maintenance trust in some cases. So 98-4 is yeah, usually the one that we're looking at. In paragraph 10, the tax ruling 98-4 covers five situations. And these five scenarios are basically scenarios where a child maintenance trust would not qualify to distribute accepted income. And hence, they are highly relevant for us. If you don't mind, could we go through them? Yeah, let's do that. Situation number one, property not transferred beneficially to the child. One. Quote, it does not derive from the investment of property transferred beneficially to the child. End of quote. So this is really looking at who is the capital beneficiary of the trust. So it's saying in order for the child maintenance trust to be effective, it needs to be set up specifically for one or more children of the relationship. That child or those children need to be the sole capital beneficiaries. So where you can fall foul of this is if you have what looks and smells like a child maintenance trust, but there's a provision in the deed somewhere that allows capital to get distributed to anyone other than one of those children. So there might be a provision there that says capital can get distributed to mum and dad. Well, lo and behold, the tax office rightly, I think, says that, well, that's the property then in that situation is not being transferred beneficially to the child, it's being transferred beneficially to a trust, which includes mum and dad as beneficiaries. So suddenly you're disqualified under these rules. What about if the child makes a will? So when the parents separate, they do a child support agreement, they set up this child maintenance trust. And then in that process, the parents or one of the parents as the guardian of the child also signs a will that would give any entitlement from the CMT back to the parent in case of their early demise. Would that run into situation one? saying that possibly property was actually not transferred to the child. I assume that not because it does go into the estate. In in the case the child dies early, 
the um, property of the trust would go into the estate. It's just then that there happens to be a will that gives it back to the father, for example. Would that fall foul of situation one or do you think that would be all right? That's perfectly fine. The, the catch you have is that the child can't make a will at law until they turn 18. So for as long as they're a minor, they're effectively intestate. It's only the day you turn 18 that you have the lawful capacity to make a will. And so and the, oh, guardi- the guardians can't make a will for a child uh, except in really limited circumstances where they go off and get a court order. But generally, yeah, really what you're looking at in that scenario is the day they turn 18, they make a will, gifting it back to mum and dad. That, that's perfectly fine. There's no tax issue with doing that. And when they turn 18, a will is probably the last thing anyway on their mind. Okay, so I didn't know that. So a child can't actually make a will even if the child is represented by their guardian. No, only by making an application to the court. But the court will generally only do it in fairly exceptional circumstances. So children usually, I mean, it's a very unfortunate event, but children would always basically die interstate unless there's a court order. That's right. And the flip side of that is that they generally don't really have any assets of substance, which is part of the reason behind it. Obviously, when you've got a child maintenance trust, it's a little bit different. And you, people can have money before they're 18, but it's not usually the sort of wealth that you're talking about when you're going through estate planning with adult clients. And I can imagine you have never seen a court order with respect to a child's will, correct? No, there's a few published ones that you can find. They tend to be you know, situations where like if the child was in an accident and received a big payout, so they in a car accident because someone was negligent and they've received a, a multi-million dollar payout because of the injuries that they suffered. Well, like that sort of scenario, the court would be potentially prepared to order a will on their behalf as to what happens to that payout when they pass away. But generally speaking, they're, they're few and far between. Usually the uh, trustee of the uh, child maintenance trust is the father, correct? I mean, it's the parent who paid the assets in and hence is the father, correct? Yeah, but more often than not, you can have both parents in there as trustees, but presumably if they've irreconcilably separated and they're, and they're going through the, the divorce process or the relationship breakdown process of I usually discourage people from doing that because if you've decided not to spend your life with someone, why would you then agree to be a co-trustee with them and put yourself in that situation where you're having to deal with on a regular, ongoing basis? So the majority of the time, it's the, the spouse who's contributing the assets that will also be the trustee of the trust. And can the uh, trustee request a payment for the admin fee of the trust? That's a good question. Since you hesitate, you've never seen it. No, I mean, the, so... Because these are normally family arrangements, it, it would be unusual that they're wanting to put money into the trust and, and then sort of take money back out again. But yeah. I mean, if you thought about a scenario where, let's say it wasn't either of the parents, it might be a professional advisor or, or even a professional trustee in there. Yeah, as long as the trustee permits it, there's no reason why the trustee can't charge a fee for their services or be remunerated for their services. And I don't that in and of itself, would that's just an expense of the trust. So that would jeopardise the tax treatment at all. And so the child maintenance trust is usually the one who pays the accountant, who pays the tax agent or pays the lawyer, correct? When there is, for example, disputes with the ATO and a tax lawyer is involved, the CMT could pay those fees as well, correct? Yeah, so, so usually within the, um, the consent orders of the financial agreement, there'd be an agreement between the two spouses as to who pays the costs of setting it up in the first place. But then once the trust has been established, if it has legal or tax issues of its own, then it would engage the lawyers or the accountants and, and it pays the costs of that professional advice. Coming back to situation one, 
where property is not transferred beneficially to the child, the big thing is discretionary trusts, correct? Basically, where the parents agree that a certain distribution from a family trust should always go into the CMT and then to the children, that would not qualify as accepted income because there's actually no property in the trust from this discretionary trust, correct? Yeah, it, it probably gets caught under two of the five limbs that the tax office flags. It, it's it's not accepted trust income because that right as a discretionary beneficiary to be considered for distributions is not property. So it fails that first one. And then it generally also fails, I think it's the... Uh, Second one, not from the investment of property? Yeah, probably the, both the second and the fourth one. So it's not from the investment of property. And then it's also generally not an arm's length return. Fails almost every one of those tests if it's a discretionary trust, which, which you can then contrast that with a unit trust. If the child maintenance trust owns units in a unit trust, well, those units are property. And so the units can be transferred into the trust and it meets limb one because it's being transferred to the trust for the child. Potentially meets limb two because the distribution of those units is distribution relating to the trust property. And then on, in that scenario, your question is whether it meets limb five around being an arm's length return. So what's a, a reasonable rate limb of return four. you'd expect? Uh, yeah, limb four, sorry. Yeah. So that already leads to the first big learning from reading TR 98-4. And that is basically when you set up a child maintenance trust, never ever put a discretionary, although of course a lawyer doesn't like to say never ever, but when you set up a child maintenance trust, avoid as much as possible putting a discretionary trust into the stack because a discretionary trust fails on a number of accounts and makes it very easy for the ATO to attack it based on that there is no property actually transferred, that income is not from the investment of a property and that the distribution is not at arm's length because it's just purely at the discretion of the trustee. So at all costs, avoid a discretionary trust in the setup, correct? Yeah, that's right. Keep the discretionary trust completely separate, sort of quarantine it away from the child maintenance trust. And, and I think the uh, more generally than that as well, the preference where possible is for that child maintenance trust to be investing in genuinely arm's length assets. So none of these things become an issue if the investments of that trust are listed shares or a you know, commercial property, whatever it might be, like an, an actual independently acquired asset acquired at market value and, and returning a market value rate of return. All the issues that we see are, are where mum and dad decide to get a bit clever and they decide they want to transfer in units in a private unit trust or shares in a private company or, or some other asset which they have a different interest in and then the tax office gets very interested in making sure that everything's happening on, on arm's length at, at market value terms. But of course, it's these clever arrangements where the music is. You know, the transfer of listed shares and the transfer of commercial property, quite straightforward. You just need the trust deed and then it's fine where the music and where the complications are are exactly in these in these funny arrangements, in this funny business. Yeah, and, and that's really the gray, the gray area that comes in the, the last couple of limbs around, well, what does arm's length mean? What does market value mean? That's um, And there's often really compelling reasons for the parents why they want to distribute these existing private assets into the child maintenance trust. They just need to understand that the more they go about that, the, the greater the risk and, and therefore the more advice they need up front and the more steps they need to be taken to manage those compliance obligations. It's not that you can't do it. It's just that you need to be pretty careful with how you do do it. Yes, I agree. 
So that was situation number one. Property not transferred beneficially to the child. If that's the case, then the uh, CMT fails the accepted income criteria under situation number one. Now, coming to situation number two, we already touched on it, when the income is actually not from the investment of property. Situation number two, not from the investment of property. Two, quote, it does not derive from the investment of property at all by the trustee, end of quote. Yeah, well, your, your discretionary trust example is the perfect one, that its distribution from a discretionary trust is not trust property. I guess other any other sorts of payments which might be made into that trust where the payment is, is unrelated to an asset which was acquired by the trust. So things like the trustee deciding that they're going to go and provide services to another party and, and be paid a service fee or a commission or a consulting fee, well, that that's not a payment relating to an asset. That's a payment relating to a service that the trustee has provided. So that's that fails the test as well. Situation two is mainly about discretionary trust. Situation number three, not transferred as the result of a family breakdown. Now, before we cover situation number three, here's a quick word from our sponsor, DocuSign. Oh, it's coming. That time of year where stress levels go up by 15 to 20 percent. Yep, tax time. And when stress is up, mistakes happen. But I'm not here to talk about my screw-ups. Because this year, I've gone digital with DocuSign. Now there's no snail mail paperwork, invoices are getting done faster. So when it comes to tax time, I can just be an accountant and not some paper chaser. Sign up for your free trial at docusign.com.au. Next time, DocuSign. Situation number three. Not transferred as the result of a family breakdown. Three. Quote. The property has not been transferred beneficially to the child as a result of a family breakdown. End of quote. I mean, one scenario this covers is when the parents are really trying to stretch the roots and really get into funny business, pretending to break up and don't actually break up or don't actually have a child together or, you know, something like that. I think it covers. But the other question is also what about de facto spouses or stepchildren? How are they treated in this? Yes. And so I think, well, there's one step that can be taken to sort of try to tackle a lot of that head on, which is around when these happen, it's usually because there's either some consent orders or a binding financial agreement being entered into by the parties. And so what we want is a very clear, very explicit reference to the fact that this trust is going to be set up within those consent orders of the financial agreement, because where the tax office can target these is to so well, you didn't set it up because of the relationship breakdown. You set it up for any other of a myriad of reasons. Whereas if it's an express requirement in those family law orders, then you get to avoid that debate altogether. And that also comes into the timing of these, that if you've got the trust which was set up before the relationship breakdown or you've got one which, which gets set up five years later, that in and of itself is going to be a problem because it, you don't have that direct link with the relationship breakdown. And then that, the second point is your flagging is to make sure that the people who are contributing the property and the people who are the eligible beneficiaries are actually eligible for one of these trusts in the first place. So looking at who's setting up the trust, is the child a child of that person who's setting up the trust? And ideally the, the assets that are being contributed are being contributed by one of the parents rather than someone outside of the family group because the parents are the parties who 
signed the consent orders or the financial agreement, they're the ones who should be under the obligation to contribute the initial assets. I have two questions for you. The first one is when a married couple separates and they have children together, do you always need a family court order with respect to the children or can the entire breakup be completely outside of the court? Yeah, it can be completely outside of the court, but if it's going to be outside of the court, then we would strongly want to prefer to see a binding financial agreement entered into. So the binding financial agreement, you can do that before the relationship starts. It's effectively the way of getting around having to go to court is the, it's a legally binding agreement between the two spouses, whether that's de facto or married under the Family Law Act. There's certain requirements that need to be met about each party getting independent financial advice and the like. Quite aside from the impact that has on the child maintenance trust, it also means that where there is that financial agreement in place, it prevents one of the spouses from coming back and wanting a property settlement from the other spouse at some stage down the track when financial circumstances may have changed. So yeah, if they don't want to go to court, the alternative is that financial agreement, which is yeah, that the property settlement outside of court. And now my second question is, what about if you have de facto spouses and then it's stepchild? Would that then still qualify for a CMT? Yeah, yep, it still can. So there needs to be a relationship breakdown. The relationship doesn't need to be a marriage. It can't be de facto spouses as long as they have ceased living together on a genuine domestic basis. And then the trust can be established for anyone who is a child of either or both of the spouses. So it can include stepchildren, it can include adopted children. Yeah, so anyone who's a child of one, the other or both of them is eligible. Now, I have another question for you, and that is looking at situation three, again, where transfer of assets needs to be as the result of a family breakdown. I assume that inheritances don't count. So, for example, if granddad sees that the child maintenance obligations really affect his son and hence he wants to help and hence he makes a will that says this amount is meant to go into the child maintenance trust to meet my son's child maintenance obligations and then he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. I assume That doesn't count because it's not coming from the parent, but from the grandparent, correct? Yeah, it's not expressly excluded in that form, but the, the way TR 98.4 is drafted and the way the legislation is drafted, it arguably could include property which is contributed by someone else, like a grandparent. But the challenge, if that's going to happen, is that you need to show that that contribution was made because of the relationship breakdown, not because of some other reason, like a desire by the grandparent to provide an early inheritance. So the the safer way to go about it is to have that, whatever the asset is, transferred from, say, the grandparent to one of the parents first, and then to have that parent contributed into the trust pursuant to the financial agreement or the consent orders. So it's it's not a case of ever do it that way but you certainly add a significant degree of unnecessary risk if the asset's coming in from someone other than one of the parents. Can you set up a CMT long after the breakdown? So for example, let's say the parents separated and for some time they just had a child support assessment and that didn't really work for either of them because there's constant mangling over you know, how much income there really is. And so they look at a child maintenance trust to be done with would it still qualify if it's after the family breakdown? Yeah, it needs to be because of the family breakdown. And certainly if they've done some sort of consent orders or financial agreement initially, like when that relationship breakdown first happened, 
which didn't include a child maintenance trust and then four or five years later they decided they wanted one or they've missed the boat at that juncture, it's it's too late. Oh, really? It, there's probably an argument if they haven't done the financial agreement or the consent orders, if they, you know, they'd separated, they'd been living apart for a couple of years and then they decided to go and, and do the property settlement, that if they do, if they set up the child maintenance trust as part of the property settlement, that might be three or four years later that it still qualifies. But yeah, you need to be able to draw that direct connection between the relationship breakdown and the establishment of the trust. And the longer you leave it to set it up, the harder and harder it's going to be to to show that you set it up because of the initial relationship breakdown. So if everything was done and dusted, let's say three years ago, property was settled, the house was sold and divided up, etc., and child support was just done through an assessment, and then three years later both decide to do a child maintenance trust, the, the boat has said they can't do that anymore. That's what you're saying, correct? Yeah, that's it. The transfer needs to be because of some obligation that they had as a result of the family breakdown. Once the financial settlement is done, all the obligations have been satisfied. But so, you, yeah, the window of opportunity disappears. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So if the property settlement hasn't been done yet, you know, they have been fighting over it for two or three years. And if then as part of that property settlement, the CMT gets set up, then it's all fine. But if everything was done and dusted and then they come back and agree something new, then it's no longer possible. That's right. And the other, I guess, related challenge you can have is if once the child maintenance trust is set up and the initial assets have been contributed, if the parents come along five years later and want to contribute additional assets to that trust, they're, they're probably out of luck on that as well. So it's really, it's almost frozen in time when that when the trust gets established and the initial contribution gets made, that's that's all that can be contributed moving forwards. Okay, so that's like a testamentary trust now after the law has changed, correct? Yeah. It used to be that you can set up a testamentary trust with just one dollar of capital and then contribute more later, and that was still accepted. That has now changed as well. The uh, contribution to the testamentary trust needs to be as part of the estate distribution, and so that's the same now as well. Correct? Very, very, very similar. Yep. Sorry, I asked Patrick about this as well again in an email. And so what I wrote to him is, now quoting my email, you said that the CMT needs to be set up as part of the family breakdown. What if the couple never had a property settlement? If there has been no property settlement, can they still set up the CMT? End of my email. And I'm asking this because... While most couples have a property settlement when they separate, they don't necessarily have it if they divorce relatively early in life and they don't really have many assets yet, then one party might make a property settlement offer and the other one might just not accept it and then it expires. So it is very possible that a couple doesn't have a property settlement. And so my question is, does that then leave a door open for the CMT to be set up later? And so Patrick writes back, and so he says, start of quote, finally, in relation to the result of a family breakdown test, section 102 AGA sets out the specific requirements that must be satisfied. And one of the key issues is that one of the spouses must be under a legal obligation to provide for the minor as a result of an order, determination or assessment. So a family breakdown on its own will not be sufficient to give rise to the obligation. Usually the obligation will be created by a family court order or binding financial agreement between the parties, although a formal child support assessment 
would also be sufficient as an assessment that creates the legal obligation. So, end of quote, sorry. So the moment you have a child support assessment from the uh, child support agency, for example, the door to your CMT would close. You don't need to have everything settled with respect to property. All you need to have is a legal obligation to pay child support. And once you have that, you can no longer set up the CMT. Welcome back. So we covered three situations today. Situation number one, where property is actually not transferred beneficially to the child. And that is usually the case when you have discretionary trust distributions just hitting the CMT without actually any property being within the CMT. Or also when the payer still has some control over that asset. So for example, for some reason, it doesn't go to the child at the end of the trust upon vesting, but somehow the property is going to go back to the payer, then the property also hasn't really been transferred to the trustee for the benefit of the child. The second situation is where the income is not from the investment of property, basically the same scenario as situation one. The CMT is receiving some income, but there is no asset in the CMT that relates to that income. And then the third situation is not transferred as a result of a family breakdown. So that is if you do something later, for example, or if you just pretend to break up or if there is not really legal backup to show that you have a family breakdown. So those were the three situations today. The other two we will cover next week. But just quickly, also about today, discretionary trusts near a child maintenance trust are a big problem. If you can, keep discretionary trust well away from a CMT. And the assets need to be transferred into the CMT at the time of the family breakdown. And the CMT needs to be set up at the time of the family breakdown and the assets need to be transferred into the CMT at the time of the family breakdown. You can't come three years later and set up the CMT or move more assets into it. So it all needs to happen between separation and the final property settlement. In the next episode, episode 389, let's go through the last two situations of TR98-4. Situation 4 covers non-arms-length transactions and Situation 5 covers transactions as a result of an agreement. Let's cover those next week. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to DocuSign for the support. Bye for now and see you on the next episode.